0: Welcome to all things, trust and wills, the Albertson and Davidson podcast. This is Keith Davidson. Thank you for joining us for another episode of all things, trust and wills. Today, we're talking about the top five things you must know about your California undue influence claim. In California, under the Welfare and Institution's Code, we now have a unified definition for undue influence. That's Welfare and Institution's Code Section 15610.70. And what that code section does is it defines what an undue influence claim is, and that same definition is used under the probate code. So that means all the same facts and circumstances that you use to bring an undue influence claim in probate to try and overturn a trust or will is the same as the claim, facts and circumstances you're going to use to establish a financial elder abuse action. So now, most trust and will cases also will support a financial elder abuse claim. And when financial elder abuse, under the Welfare and Institutions Code, we're entitled to things like a jury trial, punitive damages, and an award of attorney's fees. None of those things are available when you're doing a trust and will contest. So it really increases your chances, and it increases the damages and remedies you can get when you have an undue influence fact pattern. The second thing you need to know is that equity in and of itself is not enough. A lot of times people feel that they have suffered an unfair result, and the law really doesn't care about unfair results just by themselves. So a parent can do things that are unfair if he or she wants to do that provided that they weren't unduly influenced into doing it or provided they didn't make a decision while they lacked capacity. So while equity is important to have as part of an undue influence claim, if all you have is what you perceive to be an unfair result, that in and of itself is not enough. There's other elements to undue influence. Number three, you actually can shift the burden of proof on an undue influence claim. And what that does is it requires the wrongdoer to have to prove an absence of undue influence, which can be very difficult to prove. But you can only shift the burden if you can prove three things. One, you have to show that there's a confidential relationship between the deceit and the wrongdoer. Two, you have to show that the wrongdoer actually procured, actively participated in procuring the will or trust. And number three, there has to be an undue benefit to the wrongdoer, which is not just an increase in share. It actually has to be a benefit that... They're really not due under the facts and circumstances of the case. If you have those three elements, you can shift the burden to the wrongdoer to have to disprove undue influence, which can be a real advantage in trying to establish your undue influence claim. Number four, you still need a weakened mental state. So if you're going to go into court on an undue influence claim, the first element is a weakened state of mind. You have to have somebody who is susceptible to undue influence, and that means that you're going to have to look at the medical records You're going to have to hire a medical expert to testify as to whether or not somebody is susceptible to undue influence. And if you don't have that element, if you don't have that expert, then you're going to miss the first requirement for undue influence. So you really have to keep your eye on the ball of finding and then proving in court a weakened mental state that makes somebody susceptible to undue influence. It doesn't have to be full-blown lack of capacity, by the way. It simply has to be somebody who has a weakened mental state, which would, require, which would cause them to be susceptible to undue influence. And the last thing that you have to know about undue influence is that a good backstory really helps. Remember that on most undue influence claims, if you're trying to overturn a trust or will, a judge is going to hear that claim. Or if you're going in under financial elder abuse, a jury is going to hear that claim. Either way, whether it's a judge or a jury, people want to right a wrong And if you do not have a backstory that sounds like something wrong happened, then the chances of you winning your undue influence claim go down substantially. It's not a legal requirement that you have a good backstory, but it certainly is far more persuasive to go into court when you have a good backstory as to what happened and why it's not fair. So for example, in a lot of undue influence cases, you'll have somebody who's like a friend, who cozies up to an elder person and then they start taking care of their finances and they start doing their shopping and they start to move in on the elder and write checks for them. And before you know it, they create a new will or trust and they get everything and the children are disinherited. When you have that kind of backstory, it just doesn't sound fair. And so the persuasiveness of your argument increases dramatically. Compare that to a situation where you have one child who takes care of a parent for 10 years, they quit their job, they care for the parent around the clock, and then at the end of the day, that child gets a little bit larger share of the estate. That's not as compelling of a backstory because it seems to make sense that a parent would benefit somebody who took care of them around the clock for 10 years. So those are just two extreme examples. Yours might be something completely different. But keep in mind that the better backstory you have to show that what happened just doesn't sound right, the more persuasive your case is going to be. For information about this and many other Trust and Will topics, please see our website at aldavlaw.com. That's A-L-D-A-V-Law.com. Thank you for listening to All Things Trust and Will's.